Right, today we want to start looking at a few of the lessons we can learn on leadership from Old Testament uh, successful leaders. But we want to look at these Old Testament leaders who were successful. We want to look through New Testament lenses. And uh, I want to do a few short studies on these different leaders. Today we'll be looking at the book of Nehemiah, the leadership style of Nehemiah, what God taught him and what God God did through him. And... uh, we can learn so much about effective leadership from, from, from this man and others as we study these books. But we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1, if you don't mind, and we're going to read the first four verses, and then we'll go to chapter 12 and pick up in the 28th verse. But it says this in Nehemiah chapter 1, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah, with some other men, and I questioned him about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, and you read his prayer, reminding God of his promises, his commitment, and invoking God's uh, and, uh, involvement and help in giving him favor at every level. If you'll go then with me quickly to verse to chapter 12, and we pick up in the 27th verse. Now, the walls were broken down, the gates were burned, and uh, there was great distress and disgrace. But now we come to this 12th chapter, in the 27th verse, we see that the walls are now built. And so there's so much we can learn in between those 12, in those 12 chapters about effective leadership, and then also in the 12th and 13th chapter. But it says this in chapter, uh, verse 27 of chapter 12, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out, from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps and lyres. The singers also were brought out and so it goes on. Down in verse 31 it talks about how he assigned two large choirs to give thanks and right throughout there, that chapter you see all these wonderful rejoicings and praising God and celebrating God for the wall being now built. And so just uh, we want to have a look at some of these things. Nehemiah was a leader who tirelessly helped and encouraged a group of discouraged, dispirited Jews who had returned from exile. He encouraged them and helped them to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which had been devastated. Now, just we'll come back to this in a moment, but remember, walls are made of, of stones, and we are the living stones. So we, the believers, are the walls. It's a picture of, in the New Testament, through New Testament lenses, of us as believers. And the gates, you'll remember that the elders always took their place at the gates of the city. So the gates represent, in some, to some degree, the leaders and the Gates were burned, and so many leaders 
today around the body of Christ are just burned out. Um, but here we let me go back and just say this, that Nehemiah was someone who tirelessly helped and encouraged a group of discouraged, dispirited Jews who had been who had been who had returned from the exile, and he encouraged and helped them to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which had been devastated. And that's a picture, in some senses, of many churches around the world today. They just appear to be in a similar situation and a similar state, a discouraged, dispirited, tired, anxious, almost despairing. Some even ready to give up, just or some just in retreat. But Nehemiah united a discouraged and apathetic bunch of exiles, returned exiles, and he turned them into a zealous, enthusiastic, dedicated group of hard workers and warriors who did what God planned for them. So let's have a look at some of these important factors that make him such an outstanding, effective, fruitful leader and ask God to help us to respond to him as he shows us things together and we learn from his leaders in the Bible that he, by the Spirit of God, took the time to record these, all of this so we can learn about learn this and gain from it. Well, first thing I want to just highlight is that he was concerned about the state of God's people and how that affected God's name, God's character. And God's purposes. In Nehemiah chapter 1, he says, And I questioned them and asked them about the Jewish remnant and also about Jerusalem. He inquired, and that gave God the opportunity to tell him what he could do about it. Can I say this again? The walls, living stones, us, the gates, leaders, burned. He inquired of God. And I believe that that's where we've got to go as leaders today and inquire of God. God, why is it that so many people are burning out? Leaders are burning out, quitting. Why is it that so many people seem to be falling away? Churches are closing down. Why is it that so many Christians are on the retreat? Others have quit altogether, just given up. Why is it? What can we do about it? And we, when we ask God, We've got to go there with a heart. When, when he heard about this, when he saw the true state, it moved him. And it's the Bible says here that he, he, he said, I wept, I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed. But you notice in chapter 1, verses 5 through to 11, that he included himself in this confession. So it starts there with, are you concerned? Or am I concerned? Or we're we just learning to live with it. Let's be concerned enough to go back before God and say, God, this is, you're bigger than all of this. With God, nothing's impossible. Just help me to understand what we can do about it, to see the true state of the church, face it with reality, with honesty and integrity. And then, God, what can we do about it? And the second thing we see here is that he sought God's favor before him, um, he embarked on his life calling. You'll see that in the 11th verse of chapter 1. He said, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man who was the authority, the king. So in verse 11, he prayed for God's favor. In verse chapter 2, verse 8, he received God's favor. 
In verse 8 of chapter 2, he not only received it, he acknowledged God's favor. And verse 18 of chapter 2, he preached and proclaimed God's favor. And his favor, God's favor, bear this in mind, includes his involvement, his presence, his gracious hand, and all of this assures us of success. God can only be with us, with us, in the sense of his favor and of success to the degree that we are, we are doing what he has called us to do. So he said, give your servant favor, success. He prayed and asked for God. He embraced God's call on his life. I hope that makes sense. Thirdly, he examined, he explored, got a better understanding of the, the task involved. We don't have time to read all these verses, but I'm asking you to. Chapter 2, verses 11 to 15, he went around, he checked out things, he saw for himself, he got a better understanding of what the situation really was like, and then that was where he began to do what God called him to do. He got solutions, answers. God began to speak to him. And we need to do the same. We need to look at the different aspects of the life of the church, the one we're involved in, but the church in general across the world. And then after a careful examination, look at the word of God and see what God tells us the church should be, what it's to be, what it's to be doing, remembering that the church is to reveal Jesus, to show the world what Jesus is like, what it should, should be involved in and what it shouldn't be involved in. And where these things aren't happening, things we should be involved in or we shouldn't be involved in, then we are to get to work with the help of the Holy Spirit's guidance and enabling and implement all that needs to take place all the change that needs to take place. In other words, we need to get rid of that which is unbiblical and unhelpful, that isn't pleasing to God. And then we need to embrace graciously, but radically, gently, but with authority, what God and his word tells us. Hope that makes sense. There's so much that's going on in the body of Christ today that isn't God implemented, isn't God initiated, isn't even God instructed. It's not even in the word of God. Whatever isn't, quit it. Whatever is, if you're not doing it, do it with all your heart. And then fourthly, having seen that, he recruited and involved others in the work, knowing that no one person can do it all. It requires teamwork Everyone was involved. Have a look for yourself at chapter 2, verse 17. It's something like Ephesians 4, 16 tells us that each part does its work. Everyone knitted together, rightly relating to one another, each doing and playing their part. And when you look at this book of Nehemiah and you get into the third chapter, you see that everyone knew what they were to do. It says the next unto him, next unto him, this one built, that one did this, yeah, this one built this gate, this one did this in front of his house, next unto him, this guy did, this one did. Each person knew what they were to do. Uh, ask God to give your people revelation and through your preaching and through your instruction, 
whether it's from the pulpit or it's just personal to pe person to person, help people to understand what their call is and to do it with all their hearts. Now, people need to know why our church exists and what we feel that God wants them to be and to do. And this would involve our wineskin, the structure, our vision, our values, our philosophy of ministry, and, and so on. And these things that are our vision and our values and our philosophy of ministry, these things need to be start to happen in our church and not just be a pipe dream. People have got so many people tell me they're living the vision, they're living the dream, they've got this big vision, but it's a pipe dream. It's just never happening. You speak to them and they tell you, look, God's going to do this and God's going to do that. But years later, nothing's changed. It's not happening. And then if you look at number, uh, chapter 2, verse 18, right through to chapter 3, verse 32, but I'm just going to read uh, one or two of those verses, you'll see how the people responded because this leader knew, he went, he saw, he knew what wanted, needed to happen, he involved others, he gave them meaningful involvement, he helped them to find their place in what they were to do, and look how they responded. It says here in chapter uh, 2, verse 18, um, where am I here? It says, um, it says towards the end of that verse, when I said, let me just read this. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God was upon me and what the king had said. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. That's the kind of response we want. Good leadership gets that kind of response. It isn't always dragging, pulling, struggling to get people to do the will of God. So ask God to make you a good leader and to be able to communicate by the anointing of the Spirit of God with revelation that opens the hearts of people, touches their wills, their spirits, and gets them to want to go for God with all their hearts. And then the next thing that I see here that's so important is that there has to be faith. For without it, we can only... It, all we can do is just what the arm of the flesh can, can uh, bring about. So if you look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20, you'll see there that he had faith. He says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start building. And so it goes on. You see, we need faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Read those Hebrew 11, those first six verses again for yourself. Let faith well up in your heart. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need faith to know what God wants us to do. We need to be able to believe it. And God creates faith and God enlarges faith through the word of God by the revelation of the spirit of God. It's not by imitating other people. It's with faith. Doing what God tells us to do, not what God told others to do or others claim God told them to do, not what others seem to be doing that seems to be successful. It's not even implementing principles. It's faith, believing what God tells us to do and then doing it with all our hearts. And then we move on. Another important factor is that the Holy Spirit in this book 
highlights the need for separation. There's so little separation in the body of Christ today. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. I just want to read uh, a little of that to you again. It says this. It says, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim of histo or historic right to it. And then when you go to the chapter 10 and the 28th verse and on to verse 30, read these for yourself, you'll see that God demands separation. In other words, we can't go on living and doing things like the world is doing it with the world's value system. Christians are even entertained by the world and the world's entertainment systems, uh, the world's tactics, the world's principles. Uh, we've got to break from that. Be done with it. I hope I'm making sense here and not you're not reading this through legalistic eyes or listening to me through legalistic ears. And then quickly we go to the chapter 4. Another thing we see that we can learn for good leadership is how he dealt with the opposition. Now, that whole chapter is just full of that, but I want to highlight a few things. In verses 1, to, uh, verses 1 2, and 3, we see how he dealt with ridicule and insults. In verse 4 and 5, he prayed, and, verses, and chapter 4, verse 6, he kept on with what God had told him to do, to rebuild. When there's opposition, don't come down and start debating. Just pray, commit it to God, and keep on doing what God's told you to do. I've had to do that for 50-something years. Even some of my closest friends, well-meaning, well-intentioned sometimes, I've had to just not discuss it, go on and on and on, endlessly talking about the same old things, but just get on with building and commit it to God and pray for God's blessing. And then how he dealt with threats. We see that in verses four, chapter 4, verses 7 through to 9. Once again, he prayed. And then he just posted God's day and night. In other words, watchmen, as we see in verse 9. And we need to have people who are praying with us, praying for us. We need to sometimes have nights of prayer, half nights of prayer, a, week, a, few, a few hours of prayer here and there. But we need to have people, I believe with all my heart, we need to have people who are like watchmen, praying for us. When I was leading New Covenant Ministries International team, I knew that I had so many preached people praying for me all around the world. Thousands and thousands and thousands. A little time after I'd handed that team over, you could feel the difference. There's not so many people praying for us. Thank God there's still a few people praying for me around the world, for Anne and I, and Anne and I are a team. But we need those faithful prayers, people that will hold us before God day and night, when that, that they will just put us on their prayer list and say, daily I will pray for you. I've had people come and say to me while I was in the United States, a few guys have told me this here in Australia, you can count on me, I'll pray for you. But when I try to contact them, can't get them. And if I leave a message, they don't get back to me. We need to find under God people who will genuinely pray for us. Pray for you. Pray for the church. And then we see also, that's how you deal with threats, etc., how you dealt with discouragement. Verses, chapter 4, verse 10 to 23. I wish I could read these, but you read them for yourself. Uh, he strengthened the weak areas, as you look at verse 13 of chapter 4. 
This is how he dealt with discouragement. Strengthen the weak areas in the faith life of your people. And then he encouraged them to keep their focus on God. Looking unto Jesus, our eyes fixed on Christ, not on the enemy, like John, Peter, when he stepped out of the boat. While he was, his eyes were fixed on Jesus, he walked on water. The moment he looked at the waves, he sank. We need to teach our people and for ourselves, teach ourselves as leaders, keep our eyes on Jesus. Encourage, encourage them to focus on God and to keep on fighting. But it's the fight of faith, the good fight of faith. Not fighting one another, not even fighting those people that are coming against us. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemy is a, the devil and his demons. Uh, you have a look at that for Ephesians, the book of Ephesians for yourself. And then we're still dealing with how, how to deal with discouragement. He used God's promises, God's faithfulness and God's authority in prayer and praise. Look at the 14th chapter 4, verse 14 to 23 and read it for yourself. In verse 22, he kept them united. Encourage your people not to let anything bring division, to stay united. In verse 22 of chapter 4, they, he kept, they were available. And, and the same in that verse 22, they were serving. You know, when you're serving, you haven't got time to get involved in all these little side issues and petty quarrels. It's when you're not serving, it's idle hands become the devil's tool. And then in verse 22 also, they guarded. We've got to guard our hearts. in the, Not only me for my life, but all of us for our life together in Christ. And then keep on fighting. And in verse 23, it says, keep alert. And we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. God has told us, keep alert. And then... Never let your God down, verse 23 tells us. Well, there's still quite a few here, and I don't think I'm going to get through them in this session, so if you will bear with me, I'm going to pick up and do a second session, and I think that would give me just a short, maybe 10, 15-minute message, and we'll finish the study, some of these important, important aspects and truths of what makes a good and effective leader. I'm going to pray for you. Will you bow your head? Just ask God, God, would you just answer this man's prayer as I say yes and amen. Father, again, it's your word. The living word, Jesus, the living word, the Bible, by the authority, anointing, revelation, impartation of your spirit that we all want. And by your word, will you just bless these people, show them from your word what you want them to do, how to do it, with whom? Please, Father, help them to discard what is not in your word and to embrace everything that is. Help us to deal with things. Keep our eyes on Jesus, fixed on him, fighting the good fight of faith, available, willing, working, witnessing, serving, that our churches may be explosively growing and effective for the kingdom of God as we exalt our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we love you and we thank you. You are for us and with us, working with and through us. In your name we pray. Thank you. Amen. God bless you.